Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Peter Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, event sommelier, weekend wine guy, and again, the Commodore of Cocktails. So happy that you're spending Saturday night with me. And um, if you ever miss a show, remember, you can always find us on happyhourradio.net or check our Facebook page, and we always list the episodes. I've uh, been doing this for over six years, which means um, there's got to be a couple nuggets in there you might enjoy. Uh, but it's always fun, a chance to uh, learn about the world of wine, beer, cider, spirits, cocktails, food, and events and education from around the world. And uh, my first guest today is actually uh, uh, one of those worldly cats who's done a lot in terms of um, the uh, the alcohol business. And uh, he's worked for Guinness. He's worked for the Bacardi. He, and now he's back in the Pacific Northwest working for... Um, a, a cool new distillery that's produced a gold medal award-winning vodka. His name is Jason Dyke, and uh, he's going to talk about headwind, but we're going to talk about him. Hey, Jason Dyke, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. Hey, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So uh, you are a marketing genius, right? <laughs> uh, something like that. <laughs> that's right. Funny. Perfect. Um, so did you have a degree in marketing from college? Yes, I did. Yeah, so uh, my undergrad is actually in business uh, from Michigan State University. Then oh, no, really? I, I'm a Spartan. Hey, do you know Eric Green. Leadholm? Do you know Eric Leadholm up here? I do not. Oh, you should meet him. He's with, uh, um, oh, shoot, what's it? Uh, oh, shoot. Wildwood Spirits. He went to, because okay. uh, Michigan State has a just alcohol fermentation program or something. I believe so, correct. Yeah, so anyway, he's up here in uh, um uh, the North area, Bothell, and he's got a, a, a distillery oh. for like four or five years, but he loves, this. he's a Sparty, so it made me think of that. Well, I'm curious, does the marketing degree from back in 2000 or whenever still apply? The principles <laughs> the same? I think the overall principles are the same, but no, the tactics, that's completely, you know, that's completely flipped because, you know, back then it was all about, you know, billboards, um, getting ads in newspapers and so forth. And PR was huge too, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, but no, everything's really sort of flipped on how you get your your message across. I know my degree was in communications journalism, and that was back in okay. the late '80s. So I'm thinking about we were talking about uh, different media conglomerates like South Africa, right? Like, and now it's just entirely changed. So I like to say oh that my it, gosh. you know my degree oh, was yes, my right. degree was about learning something I love. Um, so when you think about the, the marketing, and you had a chance to, how did you fall into the beverage category? Sure. Uh, so after graduating from Michigan State, I actually moved to Chicago, and there I was fortunate enough to get a position uh, with, with Diageo. Um, uh, and, you know, with Diageo, I was on their beer side, and Diageo at the time had Guinness, Bass, Harp. It was also the launch of Smirnoff Ice and the launch, let's see if you re- remember this one, the launch of Captain Morgan Gold. Oh, I do, in a can. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it? Yeah, that's it. That product did not last too long. <laughs> well, it, I think it's time, right? We've got all these clear sodas. It makes people think. I'm, it's really funny how people are buying these things. It's like vodka oh, soda. <laughs> uh, so you worked with Guinness, and you helped launch um, the Guinness Draft in a Can. Now, what makes that, right. that, that beverage so great is that you have a different sort of – there's a little packet in there. Tell me about that. 
That's right. So, uh, so in the can, there's something that, that they call the rocket widget. And what that does, when you open the can and you tilt it to a 90-degree ang- angle, um, the, the nitrogen is released. So trying to replicate what it's actually like at an on-premise account in, into the can. Right. Because um, when, yeah, when I work for Guinness, obviously Guinness is huge at Irish accounts and at St. Patrick's Day. But, you know, sales were relatively low outside of that, especially at grocery stores and liquor stores. So the whole goal is, you know, what can be done to escalate sales outside of the prime time? Hence, Guinness draft in the can. Yeah, it's one of my favorite beers. Um, I don't have a chance to get it all often, but when I do, I buy a case. <laughs> so it lasts me there a while. Go. Uh, I go through that, and it takes about a month, which is uh, so fun. You also worked with Bacardi. Um, and what's the, what's the, uh, oh, the patriarch's name? The Patriarch's name? Yeah, the Ron oh, Bacardi, okay, right? Is Ron, was there, it? You go. there you go. Yeah. Okay, yep. And they're in Puerto Rico? Yes. All right. Uh, well, uh, so the, the, the corporate headquarters is actually in the Bahamas. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, that's where I'd like to yeah. be. Yeah. There you go. So all of us. And when I was there, the, the, mark, the marketing offices were actually in London. So I worked in the U.S. headquarters, which is in um, Coral Gables. Oh, Wow. They like yeah. that uh, that sort of uh, tropical uh, environment, which is fun. There you go. All right. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, I've always been a big rum fan. And growing up, uh, Bacardi was the um, the most obvious choice because it was ubiquitous okay. with rum. I use rum in my Bloody Marys. Um, and really? Uh, yeah. I, I call it a rum Mary. And it's it's always it's me because, like, rum is from sugar cane and sugar is like fruit, right? right. Tomatoes are fruit. But, you know, I have my own reasons. It's because I never really liked vodka because vodka always tasted like alcohol. And as much mm-hmm. as I, I enjoy alcohol, I, you know, the taste was, there's a little point where, right. you know, vodka can be a rather cheap version of, of something. And it's just, it tastes like charcoal mm-hmm. or it tastes like um, mm-hmm. just too much of the ingredients. Now, you uh, are with a, uh, a new distillery in, in Pacific Northwest down in Oregon, right? Correct. Let's talk about that. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so the brand that I founded is, is called Headwind Vodka. And as you, as you mentioned, we are based out of Portland, Oregon. Um, it is six times distilled and two times filtered. And, you know, everybody has that same sort of selling story. Hey, we're six times distilled, we're 10 times distilled, four times filtered. We have the purest water everywhere. So <laughs> I wanted something more than just those common sound bites that everybody has. So with our filtration, it is extremely unique and definitely adds to the liquid. Uh, what the filtration is, is that the second filtration, to be specific, it actually goes through Pacific Northwest um, Timber. And our whole goal is to eliminate the ethanol bite that, that you alluded to. Right. A lot of people kind of shy away uh, uh, from vodka. So we definitely believe that we have successfully done that. And plus, we're really kind of embracing our roots, our Pacific Northwest roots as well. I just took a sip. Yummy. Um, I, I like the fact that it's uh, Pacific yeah. Northwest because I do, I do believe we have the best water. This Cascade water we have. To mm-hmm. me, it's soft and it's very refreshing. Um, and of course, I know that everyone filters it, but I still believe there's some properties to it because we think about Evian water, right? right. It's hard, and I believe that right. some of the French vodkas actually have that that more of a, a mineral taste to them. To me, right. are point. you are you a sailor? I am not a sailor. So the name Headwind is this because you figured to be a tough, <laughs> a tough <laughs> road to hoe? <laughs> a little bit, yes, correct. You know, it's more or less blazing your own trail, going against the grain, doing something different. When everybody says, go right, you go left. When you zig, they zag. 
So um, when you think about headwind vodka, was this an idea of producing one expression, or do you have something coming out like a tailwind? <laughs> a little oh, more aroma, aromatized there. vodka. Yes. Um, right now, this is the only expression. We do have some ideas um, probably the next few years or so, but right now our, our main focus is is on this, this expression. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm I'm really digging it. And when I talked about, alluded to the fact that I don't like some of that ethanol bite, um, this is something, yeah. I mean, this is made from corn, which to me is unique in the world of vodka. I think yes. a lot, right? Uh, um, well, well there, there are other corn-based products out there. I believe that, I believe that Tito's is corn-based. Yes, Tito's is. Eddie as well. Right, right. Um, but, you know, we, we did try different grains. We tried it with wheat. We tried it um, with corn, and to tell you the truth, when we kind of did the filtration with the with, with the timber, um, the corn base really turned out to be to be one of the, the best tasting. And furthermore, speaking with a lot of distributors and a lot of accounts out there, the whole um, gluten free. I mean, that's really that's really big right now. Consumers are, are are looking for that. So hence, that's another reason why we went with the corn as well. Makes sense. I always believe corn had a little sweeter flavor, a little sweeter profile. And, yeah. and I think that's what made, of course, the, in uh, bourbon and whiskeys, they use sour mash, which is a little different process. Um, here, we talk about six times distilled. Tell us what yes. that, that actually does. No, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good question. If anything, what we're trying to do is make it a little like ultra smoother, trying to like, remove as many of the impurities that are in the liquid as possible. So to answer your question, it's kind of make it a little more smoother and remove the, the impurities. Right. So it makes me think there's a, like a, you're processing food in some in some way. It's your yes, like making noodles, right? You have to beat stretch those noodles out or pizza dough, right? You got to you keep working it. There you go. That's it. There you go. <laughs> That's a very good, very now, good comparison. Now tell me how you um, came upon this idea of hazelnut charcoal. Oh, good question. Um, Again, not just trying to make it as smooth as possible. I don't want to, I don't want to just keep repeating myself. But <laughs> we, you know, but like we tried all these different um, filtration methods. Um, like Kingsford? Tried, there you go. Very <laughs> nice. Um, and to tell you the truth, when, when we did the timber, like one, it ties perfect to the Northwest. I mean, Jesus, this is that ideal tie-in. And you know, believe it or not, I mean, that really gave it that, that ultra-smooth taste. It's funny, when I go to, you know, again, various accounts and distributors and sell it in, I talk about the smoothest, and everybody, everybody says that about, about their brand. And, you know, their eyes usually roll in the back of their head, you know, okay, yeah, yeah great. I'm like, okay, here, well, why don't you try it? Then they'll try it, and then because I'm staring at it, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. And then you wait, like, one beat, two beat. Wait, wait a minute, this, uh, this, is, this is pretty good. This, wow, you're not just, you're not just stop talking to me here. So to answer your question, yeah, so it, the timber filtration really – really adds to it. Now, when you think about charcoal, does that, I have a Brita filter and they use activated charcoal there. Now, does timber mm -hmm. charcoal, does hazelnut charcoal run out of its pro, of its properties or do you have to replace it? We do have to replace it. I see. And is that a, yeah. is that a process you do in-house or do you actually have a partner that helps that, you? That's something in-house. Really? So, yes, it really is. So does all that energy go to warming the uh, wort or the for the distil distillation? Does it one? I'm sorry. What, when you think about you making charcoal, obviously you're adding um, a, a fire source, right, to create charcoal. Mm -hmm. So does Correct. that energy get released into warming the wort or the the, the what do you call it the uh, the wash? 
I believe it does, correct. Yeah, that's good. Because they, yes, use, they got a yes. lot of heat and fermentation. And you're using a continuous still. Now, is this a, spe- a different still? Has continuous stills evolved from uh, the original patent process? Um. I'm sorry, I'm a little unclear on your question. Well, I mean, when you think about the continuous still, they're basically the same. Yes. It's a column still, so it's right. got different rectification plates, right. and all the wash comes down. And, and basically, you're trying to get out the heads and the tails, which are the harsher mm-hmm. and very fusel alcohols. But has that process changed at all? Are the, are the new? I mean, they're still trying to sell stills, but uh, right. some people want more bells and whistles. Are, are there bells and whistles on the column stills? <laughs> No, there's not. No, right. no, it, no it's, uh, it's, it's the same process. It's the same process. So yeah. the, the, that yeah, coffee it, guy did it right. There you go. Yeah, but we're we're pretty proud of our of our bells and whistles and how we filter it with the with the, with the hazelnut. So I'm looking at this bottle. It's the tall. Um, I want to call it the kettle one style bottle, and I know there's a few out there. But you've got a really fun oh. label. I think your label is actually really cool. It's made of wood. It is. It is. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, I know my background is is in marketing. And I've released, you know, quite a few products for Bacardi, and then, and then with uh, Hood River Distillers in um, in Portland. And um, it's so important for small brands for the package to really pop off the shelf because we don't have the big budgets as a Bacardi or as a Crown Royal or any one of the Diageo brands. So it's really important that when a consumer walks into an off-premise account or even an on-premise account, that that bottle kind of speaks to them. Um, it has to also convey the story of the brand. So, yes, uh, our package is, the main label is wrapped in real wood. It's not paper. It's actually, to be specific, it's actually birch wood. Wow. So each label, yeah, so each label has different textures, different feel, and it also has the individual bottle number, batch number, and date. I see it. And at the top, yeah, at the top of the package, that's uh, actually metalized paper. Cool. So I believe, yes, yeah, so I believe that this is the only package in the spirits industry, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that has three different paper labels. I mean, that's different. <laughs> You're going against the grain. So fun. Hey, give me a website real quick. Give me a website for Headwind Vodka. Sure, it's headwindvodka.com. Oh, that's too easy. Uh, Jason Dyke, go. congratulations. I'm. I still like this vodka is fantastic. It doesn't burn. It's still right. on my palate. It's got it's glycerol. It's uh, it's smooth um, and it's delicious. Hey, congratulations on your gold medal! Uh, I appreciate it. Headwindvodka.com. It's Jason Dyke. Thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you. All right, hey folks, stick around. I've got lots more coming up on HappyHourRadio.net. Start your day the right way. The Commute with Carlson, live and local. Weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for round two. And uh, if you want to know how to grow, uh, you're at the right spot. I've got... An author, uh, a gardener extraordinaire, and I guess a little bit of a mixologist as well. Her name is Jody Helmer, and she's uh, based out of North Carolina. She's had a career in growing, uh, well, everything a garden can grow. And uh, now she's expanded on to writing a book about how to grow those things and make cocktails. Super fun. Now it's spring. Now's the time to get involved with that, of course. Uh, and now that we all have time, right, this quarantine thing, we should be doing some gardening. So, uh, Jody Helmer, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So the name of your book is called what? 
cocktails, mocktails, teas, and infusions. It's gardening tips and how-to techniques for making artisanal beverages at home. <laughs> That's a pretty long title, um, which uh, it seems like it's, it's very comprehensive as well. So tell me about you. You uh, became a gardener first and then a journalist or an author? Correct. So I got my first job working in a greenhouse when I was 13, and I worked there all through high school and college, and it got me really excited about all of the things that you can grow and all of the things that you can grow to eat. And um, I continued to garden sort of throughout my life from little, you know, windowsill gardens. Now I live on a farm, so I have a very large garden. But I, after college, went into journalism. And so this book is sort of a culmination of my love of gardening and my career as a journalist. Fantastic. Now, what state were you in when you started gardening as a 13-year-old? Um, I actually grew up in Canada, and so I li- was living in Ontario. Really? And um, working, yeah, working at a greenhouse in Ontario, and then I moved to the Pacific Northwest, and then I moved to the South. So I've had the opportunity to garden in a number of different zones. Right. And to try to grow a number of different things, yeah. So you went from very cold to a marine moist to uh, humid, right? <laughs> exactly. Very different climate. Now, uh, it, uh, do they grow different vegetables in Canada? It's always a mystery what happens up there. <laughs> um, we eat all the regular vegetables that um, everyone else eats, uh, but we can't plant them up there until a little later. So, right. for example, I'm in North Carolina. Um, I already have mint and tomatoes and all of those kinds of things growing in my garden already. If I were living in Canada, I would not be planting those things until the end of May. I see. So we're lucky. So let's talk about this book. And tell me about, you said teas and infusions, which is really interesting. But let's talk about a basic garden. What would you suggest to people plant to get started? I, you know, I think that people can get really overwhelmed with all the choices. And so my advice is to plant what you love to eat or drink. So Mm. if you're a tea drinker, which I am, I think planting something like mint is a great idea. If you know that you want to be able to go out into your backyard and pick the ingredients for something like a smoothie, Mm. then I would suggest growing more fruits than anything else. If you know that you like a savory cocktail, then you can certainly grow things um, like tomato and um, other ingredients like that, celery. So it really all depends on what it is that you want to eat you devote your garden to those sorts of things cool um when i think about uh, smoothies i think about raspberries and berries fruit which you know blueberries which really add something of course you're going to add water or a, something protein or, um but when mm-hmm. you think about um savory so are you do you your ingredients or your recipes um uh, process the leaves and the, the fruits and the seeds and things like that Yeah, so it depends on the recipes. So the book includes um, recipes for everything from um, lemonade and infused Mm. water to vegetable juice. And then, of course, there are uh, teas and lots and lots and lots of cocktails. So classic cocktails. You know, it really just depends on what it is that you want to be drinking. You can grow so many ingredients for things like Bloody Marys and martinis and gin and tonics and all those kinds of things. So I'm thinking uh, we have peppers, we have tomatoes, we have celery, we have coriander, cilantro. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, of course, you have the citrus element. Uh, we could, hard to grow citrus up here in the Northwest. Um, 
But tell me one of the recipes that you have that's not perhaps a Bloody Mary. What's a savory cocktail that you've enjoyed or created that is a little different than what most people think? We think savory is typically a, I don't know, Bloody Mary is kind of what comes to mind. Right. So I actually need to give a shout out to Jeanette Hurt, who's the author of a book called Drink Like a Woman. And she is the mixologist who developed the recipes for this book. Sweet. Um, because I'm a great gardener, but I'm not a mixologist. <laughs> um, and so I had her develop the recipes. And one of the recipes that she developed that is delicious, because, you know, I tried them all. Of course, you have to. A rub- you have to. Is a rhubarb gimlet. Oh, so- my yeah wow so it's made with rhubarb simple syrup and basil and lime juice and citrus bitters so that's i think a great savory cocktail using a really easy to grow ingredient that most people may not think of as a traditional cocktail ingredient that's so fun rhubarb is so native to the pacific northwest too i mean it's one of those things i remember growing up on rhubarb pie rhubarb and strawberry pie um, here and, right. and that I didn't even think about that. That is so fun. When I think about basil, mm-hmm. I think about a basil smash, right? You have citrus, you have basil, you have soda, yeah. and you've got um, perhaps a, a gin or a vodka. Um, and simple syrup is so easy to make. It's just half water, half yeah. sugar, and you just steep some of the the ingredients. Of course, what you want to get that flavor in. What's great about rhubarb mm-hmm. is the high acidity. Right. I think that's it makes one of, a really lovely cocktail. Yeah, um, and I think when we think about the the, the palate, we look for. Um, salty, sweet, uh, sour, bitter, and that umami flavor. Um, let's talk about some of the teas. Now, mint tea is is um, pretty, uh, pretty. I don't say simple, but it's it's something that we're very familiar with because that's one of the choices that a lot of places, restaurants, or even up in the sky might have. What's a different kind of tea that you think people might enjoy? That's a little you know, more creative or more something I didn't think about. So that's a great question. Tea is my go-to drink and my book prior to this was called Growing Your Own Tea Garden. So this is a particular area of passion for me. And one of the recipes in this book is for a citrus lift tea. So even though um, citrus is hard to grow in a lot of parts of the country, you don't need like a lemon tree outside your door for tea. You can grow, right? You can grow herbs like lemon verbena and lemon balm and bee balm, which all have that great lemony flavor. And those are very easy to grow herbs. You can grow them in pots, and you can use those to make a really great citrus tea. That's fantastic. This is great. I mean, I, I've um, I'm learning things. I'm recalling things. You, you know, when we, we don't think about teas because they're always prepackaged, and they give us this mm-hmm. recipe. And you know, being you know half Chinese, uh, I drank tea early on all the time. But right. uh, when you think about citrus, right? There's um, lemongrass, lemon balm, lemon verbena, and uh, of course the actual yep. citrus citrus fruits. And you can get that in yep. a store. You don't need a whole lot. Um, now, when you think about using citrus, are you using the oils? Are you using the juice? I'm using, in that instance, the leaves. Oh. So I am making the infusion with the leaves. So right. You can Steep it, sure. Um, You can steep it. So if you pick them first thing in the morning, the oils are highest in the leaves before the day gets too warm. Interesting. And then you want to chop them up a little to kind of start releasing that flavor and then steep them to taste anywhere from three to five minutes, depending on what you like. And then you can just strain the herbs and drink the tea. Nice. Um, you know, what I've noticed uh, recently is one of the cool hot ingredients lately in, in different infusions and different spirits is uh, turmeric. What do you think about that one? Yes. So turmeric is a great ingredient. It's a little difficult to grow. Uh. Um, so that is not one that I have in my garden, and it's not one um, 
that I think is very popular in gardens because it is a little. Yeah, I mean, it takes tropical or exotic. I think right. right. Yeah, it, it that's doesn't true. Doesn't grow well in our region. <laughs> no, yeah. that's why they use it over there in uh, some of those really hot places. Um, what's right. the? Uh, is there a website for your book? I'm sure we can get it on that giant behemoth in my backyard here called Amazon. <laughs> yeah. So the website for my book is just my um, journalism website. It's Jody Helmer, J O D I H E L M E R dot com, and all the information about the book is there. Fantastic. Now, uh, this is a hardcover book, a softcover book. Does it, it has pictures. It has recipes. Of course, it has um, how to actually grow and, and some some plans for mm-hmm. making a garden because I, I want someone to tell me how to do it so I can see my success. <laughs> it will. Yes, yeah, it's a softcover book. It will lead you step by step through picking the plants for your garden right down to some sample garden designs. If you think, oh, I'm totally overwhelmed and I have no idea where to start, there are some garden designs you can follow. And then there's a lot of recipes for things that you can make with the ingredients that you're growing. So fun. And I trust that you are more of the sustainable kind of gardener, right? We're not talking, you're not not a Monsanto spokesperson, are you? (laughs) I'm a very sustainable gardener. I think if you are going to put anything in your garden in food or beverage, you need to be very careful about what you're exposing it to. Of course. Um, and what are some of the pests, real quickly, what you got out there? Do you have uh, other, I mean, Pacific Northwest, remember slugs, right? <laughs> Do you have slugs out in North Carolina? We have slugs in North Carolina. We have earwigs. We have aphids. Earwigs, we have yeah. all of the pest, same pests that you have and all the same things that you're dealing with. And you know, you can be proactive, plucking them off by hand. You can do some companion <laughs> companion planting, right. um, planting things beside them like marigolds that some pests don't like. And then there's all sorts of um, organic labeled products that you can use if you have a pest issue and you need to spray something that are a little bit more safe Sounds- for um, your Makes edibles. sense. Wow. Jody Helmer from JodyHelmer.com. And your book title again? It is called Growing Your Own Cocktails, Mocktails, Teas, and Infusions. Wow. Thank you so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Can't wait to check it out. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. It's springtime. Stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, hey, welcome back to after segment three, round three. Hope you got something tasting in your glass, and I get a chance to visit to revisit with Michelle Wallach, who is uh, the Director of Business Operations for Chateau Minuti, um, a wonderful family-owned uh, Provençal Rosé house that grows, uh, uh, well, has 160 hectares, 110 hectares of vineyards, I think it was, and started in 1936, family-owned. They produce uh, four expressions of uh, Provençal Rosé. Last week, we tried the M. Minuti, and that is in the Skittle bottle, the uh, feminine-style long slender one. Uh, with a couple curves, <laughs> and the other was the Rosé Ettore, which is their uh, Prestige Cuvée. Um, oddly enough, it's not called Prestige, but that's the one we're going to taste today. It's called Prestige. But Rosé d'Or is a Rosé Ettore is uh, a very elegant, delicate, and uh, nuanced rosé. It's something wonderful with food, I'm sure. I need to have a caterer here in in uh, my studio so we can actually, you know, uh, the proof is in the the pudding, if they say. Um, Michelle Wallach, hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. 
Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be back. All right. So you're in New York now. Is it weird to see New York like standstill? It is. I am also in Times Square, so I'm oh. in the epicenter of New York. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's definitely it's definitely odd to see no cars in the street and look at Times Square and just be motionless. It's it's unique. I'm surprised. You know, I, of course, Times Square is a little bit like like the Las Vegas Strip with lots of neon and billboards, and and of course, um, uh, actors with characters. And I'm wondering if the characters will all have masks on now. <laughs> seen one get arrested once uh, without his mask. <laughs> okay. The kids were crying. It was a whole mess. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, too funny. All right. Well, let's talk about something um, a little more uh, relevant and delicious, and that's uh, staying at home and enjoying some some pink uh, rosé, some Provençal rosé, which is my favorite. I've had the chance to uh, be in Provence, um, an absolutely wonderful area. It's like I get why the French are the French and they have this lifestyle because why would you want to change what you do down there in the sun-soaked uh, hills of uh, the uh, Côte d'Azur? Um, and of course, you have all the influences there. You're close to Italy and you've got the Mediterranean. Uh, and this is interesting because that was really the first area where the Romans came and the Greeks came, Marseille, um, and, and created, uh, started colonizing or started a started living. And they grew they took their winemaking chops there. Of course, when the Roman Empire existed, um, Marseille was a huge uh, a provincial port for them of strength. And, and the soldiers went out and really planted vines everywhere the, the Roman Empire went. So it started from the south and moved up. So that's why you have vines in England. That's why you have vines in, of course, the all of France and Germany. It's because the Romans. Of course, it was long before that, uh, of course, um, I shouldn't say long before that, but long, a little bit after that when the Cistercian monks and the, the Benedictine monks of France really kept the, um, well, the education of knowledge and writing and farming was kept uh, alive by the religious uh, sector, and of course that was the Catholic Church. So uh, Provençal rosé has been, been made for really a thousand years. don't know if it was really rosé at the time. Yeah, we don't know what the wine actually looked like. We think about they drank red and they drank white. But um, here we have today one of the most fantastically traditional and classic expressions of a regional wine. And that is Provençal Rosé. And Chateau Minuti, founded in 1936 by the women, uh, the, the woman who actually created the Skittle bottle. No way. Michelle, we've got two wines yeah. here. The Minuti Prestige 2019 and Chateau Minuti 281. Which should we start with? Let's start with Minuti Prestige, please. All right. <laughs> I'll take Minuti Prestige for 1000 Alex. <laughs> I thought I was on a game show for a second. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I like it. Uh, it is a game show. That's right. Um, how, how, how to convince the IRS that I'm actually working. <laughs> it's a game show. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, Chateau Minuti Prestige. Uh, they all say Cote de Provence, which means the, the vineyards can come from everywhere down there. Um, let's talk, what's the grape varieties here? Sure. So in Minuti Prestige, we have 60% Grenache, 20% Syrah, and then 10% each of Tiburon and Cinso. Wow. All right. This, this is a little, a little recipe. Yes. That's, um, that's a wonderful recipe. And I, I love how Grenache is the backbone 
because Grenache has that, I want to say, um, gentil, friendly, fleshy, hey, I'm expressive. I'm kind of like ripe fruit. And then you add these other characters in there, mm-hmm. these other grapes, which give you a structure. This one has a little more strength to me. This one has a little more structure in the mouth. It's the acid and the tannin. It seems like a heavier wine, but it's, I don't use the word heavy. Uh, it's just a stronger wine in the mouth. Is more right? weight. I totally agree. More weight, more structure. You know, and it's you're getting more of the salinity because of the proximity between that vineyard and wow. the port of Saint Tropez. Great call. So it's um, m- most of the Grenache grapes. About sixty to seventy percent of the grapes are coming from the estate. Um, so it's not one hundred percent estate fruit, but it's it's pretty close. And this is um, this is our biggest driver uh, in France. So from Saint Tropez to uh, Monaco, it's about a two hour drive. In four months, we sell about 1.2 million bottles uh, in a short period of time. So, this is this is what's doing it for the French. This is yeah. Obviously, it's uh, it's reached global um, respect, and I know that you guys produce 600,000 cases of uh, the four expressions here. Um, this being the the driver, the backbone. Um, I can see how this this to me is. Um, it seems like it has, I don't want to say oak, but it has that, that feeling that it has more weight to it. And that becomes something that I think a lot of what's been reticent for red wine drinkers, that no one drank rosé, A, they thought it was sweet, but B, they always thought it was light and just kind of just flabby or, or non, uh, mm-hmm. have a personality. This definitely has a personality, which um, it, is ironic because the French are short, but this seems like a tall Frenchman. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so good. How, how did all these recipes come together? I mean, you have four expressions. How do they figure out who's in charge of the the um, the assemblage? Yeah, sure. So the the person that's running the business, the two brothers, um, Francois, the younger of the two brothers, he oversees the export markets. But he's really uh, he's really a winemaker. Um, he went to school in Burgundy, um, and then has worked at a couple different domains and chateaus across France. So for him, you know, that that vineyard on the property, he grew up uh, and still lived actually above the winery. So he knows these vineyard sites so well um, and has employed a team of people to help him pick um, what makes most sense. So they like to make recipes and all four are different expressions of rosé. Wild. Um, so Minuti Prestige. Now, which one came first? Which of the four expressions we have? Was this, was this the first one or was it the M. Minuti? Or it must have been the M. Minuti in the Skittle bottle. Actually, no. Um, the M. Minuti, yes. But eventually um, the juice and the recipe changed for the U.S. market. Uh. The first one really was Prestige. In France, you know, they've been drinking rosé and they've been drinking premium rosé. For so long, um, that M really is more of it was an introduction for the U.S. market, um, and then certainly it's available in France in you know specialty wine shops. But really, the the wine that they're drinking is the step up prestige and the other upper cuvées. Fantastic! All right, we have uh, another wine, Chateau Minuti two eight one. I'm curious what the numbers mean. Usually, that's a clone, sure, a Dijon clone two eight one. It's, it is actually 281. Do you know the Pantone color system? Kind of like Benjamin Moore. Absolutely, I do, yes. If you will. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. So 281, if you're going to paint your car, Christopher, that blue, that deep, beautiful blue ah. is the color you're going to get. Yep. Yeah, so and you have an this homage right. to the Mediterranean Sea. Okay. Uh, exactly. Really? So you're looking way out there when the sea's that dark, I think. It's, it seems like when we think of the Mediterranean, we think about you know, kind of the coastal areas, which tend to make uh, the, the sea look turquoise or um, azure blue. This is really a royal... I guess it's 281, 281 blue, according to Pantone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they get those the Michal winds and that effect. It's so windy for a few hours in Saint-Tropez, especially in the summer. Right. That for a few hours in the afternoon, you get that really deep, beautiful blue, which, I mean, for many reasons, people like to travel and visit Saint-Tropez. Oh. But it's just such a special place in the world that they nail, I think they nailed the color. Uh, absolutely on the bottle. So fun. All right. We're going to take a little break and we're going to come back and talk about uh, the grapes, the taste of Chateau Minuti 281. And 281 is, is that's a crazy, um, very, uh, what is it? It's a new age kind of, I mean, Pantone has actually been around for like 40 years. I mean, that was kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but this seems like, to call it 281, it seems like it's a jump into the future here. Hey, folks, speaking with Michelle Wallach, who is the Director of Operations of Business Development, I should say, for Chateau Minuti. She's out of New York, and I've got uh, another great Provencal Rosé to taste with you when we come back right here on Happy Hour Radio. Some say three is a crowd. We say the more the merrier. Markley, Van Camp, and Robbins. Weekdays, 9 to noon, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, hey, Peter Sound. It's time for our fourth and final segment. I got the lovely Michelle Wallach, the Director of Business Operations for Chateau Minuti, founded in 1936. Down in the Sud de France, uh, along the Côte d'Azur in uh, Provence, we just tasted the Minuti Prestige, which is, uh, I think, the strongest, the most, um, well, the, the weightiest wine. And uh, wait, I don't like to use weight. It's just, well, I got to find a word for that. It's, it's smelt. It's how about expressive? I, I like it. First, expressive it is. Okay. Um, let's talk about Chateau Minuti two eight one after the Pantone color blue to reflect the uh, the visions of the Cote d'Azur and the Mediterranean Sea down there. Tell me about the grapes are here in two eight one. Sure. So ninety percent of the grapes are coming from Grenache, and then we have ten percent of Syrah that's added to the blend. And the Grenache is coming from a single clone, and the vines are twenty five years old. So you're getting a very, you know, concentrated wine. Love it. Um, on the nose. Mm. So this is a little more focused on the nose. I, I think maybe that's because of the, mm-hmm. the generous uh, amount of Grenache that it smells very, it's got a more um, unique profile here. Uh, love it. Uh, I'm going to take a sip. What's interesting here, this is the softest of them all. This, mm-hmm. this wine on the attack is very soft. It's it's almost powdery soft. It's floral. The acid hits you a little bit later in, um, on the tongue and the palate. And then it finishes with um, a hint of, of course, the ruby red grapefruit, um, some citrus notes, a little bit of herbaceousness. But to me, this is mm-hmm. this is really a nuanced, soft, 
um, lovely expression. And I'm tasting them room temp, which I always taste my wines room temp because, A, we're in a studio. But to me, that always shows me, you know, really what the wine has to offer. And um, I love tasting wine because this is the true expression of it. It's not chilled by uh, chilled so that it shows more acidity. And Provence Rosé always has great acidity here. Uh, I'm surprised. Was the Chateau Minuti 281 the final um, addition to their portfolio? Yeah, it was. Um, we used to we used to source the Grenache grapes for the rosé or wine, and every year they realized that this parcel happened to be the best of the best, and they wanted to do something special. Um, and there's a, a designer in the family who also created the Christian Dior perfume bottle, Jador. And so, you know, part of it is an homage. It's honoring these 25-year-old vines and then just making a really fun bottle to, to celebrate Saint-Tropez because Saint-Tropez is, is certainly glamorous. That's <laughs> so, so funny because when I started my rosé company, I said these grapes are grown from Marseille to Saint-Tropez. And I, I use that in my, my uh, marketing material. Saint-Tropez has got one of those names that just, I mean, it's got to be in a song. I'm sure it is several songs. But it is <laughs> ma- magical. Um, this is really delicious. I think this might be my most favorite because it's so sublime and seductive. To me, this is really just caressing me and like, hey, you know, you're you're okay. You're with someone special right now. Uh, com, right? And, of course, you, we can find these uh, wines on WineBid. But I imagine with Young's uh, market here in the Pacific Northwest, these are available at uh, – can I find these at some of the, I mean, we can only go to grocery stores right now. I mean, some of the wine shops are open, but there's only curbside delivery, so you never can go look for yourself. But I imagine these are at uh, the Whole Foods, the Metropolitan Markets, the Safeways, and um, some of our better shops, KFCs, and uh, probably the little ones, too, because this is high-class stuff. Right. So I'm curious, is this the $30 expression? Oh, actually, this is the Tet to Cuvée. So we talk about Minuti and this is the tattoo cuvee, so we're talking about eighty-five to ninety dollars. Wow! So this is and your your special occasion wine. Go figure that, and that's why I'm saying I think I like this best because it's like it's like a companion <laughs> that price. <laughs> she better make some food. Going for the big. That's too funny. Going for the good stuff. All right. Well, um, uh, Michelle, this has been a real treat. Uh, Chateau Minuti has got a newfound uh, place of fav- favor in my heart. I I haven't really had the I've seen Chateau Minuti on the shelf before, um, but being a wine snob, I, I sometimes I don't go for those those bottles right away because I, I don't know as a consumer I always look for value, but I also look for expression. But now I I realize that hey this uh, two eight one that's going to be a special bottle where I can bring to somebody because it's going it wows me if it doesn't wow them at least I brought it we can drink it. <laughs> Forget those guys. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Michelle, what a treat. Thanks for joining me last week and again this week. Oh, I appreciate um, the opportunity to talk about Provencal Rosé. To me, it's the passion of, of my palate. Uh, I wish you uh, good health and uh, hope you get out to Seattle sometime, right? you got to come out here and sort of do the road right. trip. Listen, it's, it's, it's my place. It's my favorite place in the U.S., so really? I look forward to getting back. Fantastic. All right, Michelle, um, thanks so much. I appreciate your time and, of course, these great tastes of Chateau Minuti. Uh, appreciate you joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you so much. Take All care. right. Hey, folks, uh, it is Provencal Rosé time. It's actually Rosé time, so I won't you know, condemn you for buying other rosés. But if you really want to try something that's unique and special and consistent, 
It is Provencal Rosé. And remember, when we get out and about, um, the kids will be not in school, so you don't have to worry about that. But uh, when you're out and about, remember, life's always better with the designated driver. Cheers!